Hello everyone and welcome to The Art of Flourishing. My name is Lauren De Silva and I am your host and today we are joined by my friend Ilonka. Ilonka is a mom of two, she is a wife and they live in my hometown of Johannesburg, South Africa with their pack of dash hunts. She works full-time as an accountant and spends all of her spare time with her family and is super invested in her children and takes part actively and is a big part of all of their extramural activities and I'm assuming the rest of their lives. She believes in raising her family based on gentle parenting principles. A large part of that journey for her has been related to her youngest son who is also neurodivergent and she is a strong, powerful advocate and voice for the inclusion of these special humans. Thank you so much for in, for joining us today, Ilanka. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, thank you for having me. Awesome. So just so that everyone who's listening um, is caught up on the same page, Alanka is one of the contributing authors to the Courage, Dear Heart anthology. And so she, that means that she's contributed a chapter, an essay to the book where she kind of shares her and her family's journey um, of the beginning stages of her youngest son's diagnosis and how they kind of kind of how she kind of pulled through that really difficult season in their lives um Ilanka I would like for you to get us started with what does courage mean to you um okay so with the <clears throat> sorry with this this journey with my son, what we've learned is um, courage is accepting something that you can't change mm. and then growing from that by, by learning during your journey as you go from day to day, um, climbing the hurdles, um, bringing your people with you and not giving up on that. Whoa. <clears throat> okay. Sorry. No, you're good. I want to kind of backtrack um, and just kind of slowly go over what you just said because there are a couple of things that I think will be really helpful to people. Um, accepting things that you cannot change and at the very same time, like, and... I, th I love that word, and, 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 and. Being really brave and courageous about the things that you can. And I think that you just touched, and I would love to go deeper on this journey for you and how you've learned to, to figure this out and keep moving forward. I think that when life hits us with unexpected hardship, um, it is disorientating it knocks the wind out of our lungs. Sometimes it brings us to our knees. Sometimes it feels like it's cha it chains us to our beds and we just don't want to get up and we don't want to face the day. And we don't want to, we, we feel like we can't keep moving. And learning to accept those moments of life can feel like sometimes like the end of the road for a lot of people. But then learning to like in the like 
if we, we have two hands, right? So like holding in the one hand, mm -hmm. I cannot change this and I need to accept that this is going to be a part of my life. While at the very same time holding on to something else, which is, but there is a lot that I can influence. There are a lot of things that I can change. There are a lot of decisions that I can make and I'm going to have the courage to keep making those choices, to keep influencing the things that I can, to change the things that I can. What has that look like for you? And so I guess the context of the conversation is your son's diagnosis um, and kind of coming to the realization that you are raising a neurodivergent child, um, but that life still needs to go on and that you can, ha you have so many choices about what, like you can't choose a diagnosis or you can't choose that part of it, but you can choose so many other things, you know, for yourself and your family. Can you share just a little bit of your journey navigating that? Like, how did you come to this? Like, yeah, I can't change this, but I can change that. Like, can you show it? Tell us, you know, some things about what that was like for you in reality. Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> like you mentioned, I have two sons. Um, the one is neurodivergent, the other one is not. So early on in my youngest, um, my youngest development, we realized the way that we were um, disciplining and raising our eldest didn't work for our youngest. And um, it, at, at one stage, it kind of felt like the terrible twos were just going on forever. And with that, I mean, until he was five. Mm. And, and he didn't understand um, you know, what was wrong because he's a really sweet boy. And um, this was now before we knew he was neurodivergent. He was only diagnosed um, when he was five. And the turning point for us came when we finally met the right doctor. And she said to us, even though your child's brain works differently and he has, um, I'm going to call them deficits, but I, I don't mean it in a, in a bad way, but um, he will have, like emotional deficits, he won't understand people around him. It's still something you can teach them. Mm. So, um, uh, uh, um, sorry, a neurotypical child learns these skills by watching the people around them. Mm. But for my son, we can we need to teach it to him. Like you would teach your child to read or to write. So what we do is we create a lot of um, social opportunities for him. We we take him out and we just we let him play with other kids. And if I see that he's starting to be overwhelmed, then we will go and see, okay, is he maybe not understanding the rules of the game, for instance? And just explain it to him in a way that he understands it. And then we just leave him and let him go again. Because um, ultimately, he needs to be able to function in a neurotypical world. Mm -hmm. 
his brain is not going to change, but he can learn coping mechanisms. So if you want to look at it this way, we are playing the long game. Mm-hmm. We're not only looking at what he needs today, we are looking at skills that he will need in his 20s and his 30s and later on in life and working towards him being able to be self-sufficient. So um, I think it's important to make that mind shift change from autism. He's got autism and ADHD. But you can't just look at that as like a bad condition. It's just a part of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to make the mind shift change where it's such a bad, hard thing and rather teach yourself and your child the skills to navigate it so that they can navigate the world. Mm. Ilanka? Um, <laughs> am I interrupting a thought? Do you want to continue? No, it's cool. It's okay. cool. Before we started recording, we ha- were having a conversation that became like, I was like, we need to just come back to this, you know. Um, we were talking about what you just touched on when you said like, we need to learn how to deal with this. And I, what came to mind when you said that was like the idea of playing the hand that you've been dealt, not the hand that you wish mm-hmm. you were dealt. Um, you know, I guess an, another way of looking at that could be like living in the day that you're in rather than living in the day that you wish you were having kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier before we started recording the show, we were talking about how we live in a world that has no idea how to sit with the learning process. And I think that is that maybe due to maybe some of our education philosophies or systems that we, you know, as children, we just get given a bunch of information. And the assumption is that we will, by just receiving, passively receiving all that information, we will be able to use that to become functional adults <laughs> or be able to do a job mm-hmm. one day, right? Um, and you were sharing yeah. with you were sharing with me, you know, how your son was playing a game and you said and we had three meltdowns during the game and your mother had said I don't know how you do this and you said well I don't know how I do it either that you know some days I have meltdowns too um and some days I also want everyone to leave me alone and some days I just want to lock myself in my room and I like what I was what I found really helpful about why when you said that was that I think that a lot of us whether it be in marriage, in motherhood, in careers, in entrepreneurship, in in friendship, you name it, is that we also live in a digital world where what we see of people's lives is like the mountaintop moments, right? Look at me, I'm managing. But we don't see the moments when we're falling down, we don't know if we can get up and we just want to throw a tantrum and lock ourselves in our rooms and knock it out. And like how those moments are also part of the learning process. Um, and I was wondering if you could just say more about that. I don't know, whatever just comes to your mind, you know, but I just think it, I think that when we fall down and can't get up or we don't want to for that moment or when we ha- throw a tantrum and want to lock ourselves in our rooms because it's just so hard that because we don't 
know about other people's tantrums, we feel so ashamed. And then we start to tell ourselves stories like, I must be the only one who can't get this right. I must be the only one who sucks so hard at this. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be able to learn. And we, and I think when we have moments like that, we stop playing the long game that you just shared about. We stop thinking about how we can prepare ourselves and our children for the, for when they're 20 or 30 or 40. And so could you share just a little bit about your philosophy or just, I guess, anything that comes to mind around being okay with learning new things when it's just really hard? Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm just I'm trying to think of a, a nice way to phrase this. Um, so I have a very stressful job. I'm like you said, I'm an accountant. Um, I am lucky that I am able to work from home um, post-COVID. I'm still home and I'm going to be home and I can fetch my kids off to school and all of that's wonderful. But um, what is not so great is to actually have them home <laughs> because they fight and they have meltdowns and they don't want to do this and they don't want to do this homework and by five o'clock, I have to say, um, I am very ready to lock myself in my room and tell them to just put themselves to bed. And I can't wait till they get to bed so that I can have a moment for myself. But on the days that it gets really bad, because Sundays, Sundays, you know, you just get up and everything goes wrong and you feel like you're doing everything wrong and you can't, you just can't parent that day. Right, <laughs> like parenting function off. <laughs> it's not so right. on. Yeah, I don't. I, I want to be a dog now. That's those days. What I have learned is it's okay. It's you know we are also human beings and we are also allowed to have feelings, mm. and it's important that our children see we have feelings. Mm-hmm. Because we're not raising robots, and oh we are not gosh. robots either. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and then the thing is that tomorrow you get to get up and have a new day and try again. Mm. So if you have a bad day every now and again, or if you have a bad week, it's not going to last forever. Um, you just have to have, I want to say, the courage to know that you get to have another time. Mm. You must just always remember, don't give up. There's infinite chances. Um, you know, yeah. don't give up. And we are allowed to have feelings. And I have experienced all of the feelings. <laughs> and there are days when I just sit and think, why? Why, 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 why couldn't my sons have been the same? Why do I have a special boy? And I don't know. I love him. He's mine. And I, I actually wouldn't trade him. But the two boys growing up, they are like oil and water, man. And then we've got this little special sauce at the side thrown in just to make it more interesting. Mm. Um, but I still wouldn't trade my boy because he's such a special boy. 
you know. And he has taught me a lot about myself and, and the world in general. But one of the things is that we can always get back up and try again. Mm. Just don't stay down. Mm. You shared a bit about... Have, uh, oh, go, go ahead. Help. You have help? <laughs> I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, I'm kind of crying in the background here, trying to like... I'm a very ugly crier and when I get started, I actually can't talk. And so I'm like, don't cry. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I, you mentioned in your chapter about like, as you shared your journey through figuring out, first of all, just getting the right diagnosis so that you could get the right help. You shared what an ordeal mm -hmm. that was and how taxing it was on you and your family um, to kind of go through that. And it really, it sounded almost as traumatic as receiving, you know, the news or starting to come to terms with the news in and of itself. But there, there, there's a part in your story where you share about when you realized that you needed help, when you realized yeah. that you were not doing okay and that you would not be able to be okay if you did not bring in some extra support. And I think in the context of what we're talking about in like the grit and granularity and the texture of what it is like to learn to cope with unexpected change. Can you share just a little bit about what got you to the point where you were like, okay, if I'm going to get up again tomorrow, I'm going to need an extra set of hands. Like I'm not going to be able to get up. I'm not going to be able to try again tomorrow unless I get some support. Can you share just a little bit about what that was like? What got you to that place and what you learned from taking the courageous step of reaching out for help? Um, <clears throat> so the doctors we originally saw were very... Um, They made it sound like a terrible, terrible thing, mm -hmm. if I can explain it that way. It was a very negative. And uh, the only thing she can do is she can do this and this and this and then kind of hope for the best. That was kind of the message that we were mm -hmm. getting. And um, the, one of the doctors, like I said, um, diagnosed Marcus' son, he turned into a zombie. It was a, a very terrible thing to see. Um, it was around that time that it just broke me seeing him that way. He was he was a robot. He had no feeling. Mm. Um, he was even talking in a monotone voice. It was like he was surrounded by a bubble. It was, and he was five, and he was depressed. You know, and it just. That, that broke my back. I couldn't. I, I couldn't think that a, a, a five-year-old is supposed to be a bubbly little thing that's running around and playing. It's not supposed to be a little robot that just sits, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and by then, I don't think that I had completely dealt with what it meant for him to, to have this diagnosis. Um, or and, and I was I was struggling to um, 
uh, process my feelings about it. Mm-hmm. Because we were just like on all the time, running from one place to another place, um, getting calls from the school just about every day because there was problems. It was like you could never have time where you just switch off the light and just have peace. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I decided I needed to go and speak to somebody. And I actually went to more than one person because the first one didn't help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they listened to my story and then they didn't help me. And then the second lady that I went to listened to my whole story and she was the one that put us on the road that eventually led to getting the right diagnosis. And she also, she just, she listened to me, she gave some advice and some tips, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just need to speak to somebody that has more knowledge than you do. Because, sorry, Raising, raising a child on the spectrum is like raising any other child. You really have no idea what you're doing until you're in the moment. Right. And then you learn what to do. <laughs> um, but then you have do have the added pressure from people on the outside because mm. your child is not the same as other children. So you need to learn a skill set to deal with that within yourself without driving yourself insane. Um, that's basically what she she helped me with. Mm. But I, I, I do see from the forums that I am on that most people with special needs children have a therapist. Yeah. Because they're all dealing with a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I get... Um, I mean, I, I guess that the grief, you know, and, it, and what, it, what it sounds like to me um, is that there is a grieving process involved that yeah, I think as a, as a culture, I mean, as a South African, um, the culture that we are a part of and then American culture where I am now, we're not very good at it um, on either side of the mm-hmm. ocean. Uh, we don't do it publicly we get awkward around others who grieve um and i think we don't recognize how often we grieve throughout a lifetime we kind of reserve the 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 right to grieve around death and loss um like physical actual loss but we have not done a good job as a culture of recognizing the grief of the loss of things that while life still happens, you know, um, and we don't, we don't know how to make room for people who've lost people like real life people. And so we certainly Mm -hmm. don't know how to make room for people or grieve alongside people or hold space for the grief that we experience or that others experience where it's a lot more intangible. Um, Yeah. Like having a sorry a, a special needs child. I mean, when you have your baby, you envision a life for them, and then you get told, "No, that's not going to be the life." Mm-hmm. It's a different life, and you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. And you and I actually think you go through the same step towards accepting as what you would with, like you said, with grief. Mm-hmm. 
Well, one of the things that I have come to realize in my life, I don't know if, if it's like officially recognized in, in textbook or whatever, but um, grief is the only pathway to acceptance, I think. Um, mm -hmm. That entire spectrum of emotions from like anger, bargaining, sadness, that those experiences, all of which are very uncomfortable, all of which all we know how to do with that is suppress. We suppress our anger or we project it. We suppress our um, sadness or we project it. You know, we that though that very uncomfortable road is what takes us to acceptance and acceptance is the only place from which we can move forward. Like you cannot change the things that you can change until you've accepted the things that you can't. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, just thank you so much for sharing. Just like, I really, I just appreciate the way that you so candidly and so openly, but also in a really human, honest way, pull back the curtain of like, this is what the hard stuff looks like. This is what it is to live in it, in the grief, in in the learning, in the adjusting, in the accepting, in the courage that there are these like beautiful mountaintop moments where you stand back and look at your life and think, oh my gosh, we are doing it. We are doing it. We're figuring it out. But there are also moments at the bottom when you're on your face in the dirt, like, mm -hmm. will I ever be able to just sit up again, let alone climb the mountain? And I think that what you, what you shared today, but also what you share in your contribution to the Courage Dear Heart book um, is just a really beautiful, honest picture of motherhood to a neurodivergent child. But I think any mother, any mother who has questioned her ability to get to the finish line will really appreciate and enjoy what you share um as part of your story so thank you um as we thank wrap up as we, we've had the best conversation and i'm kind of like i could go for another hour with you um as we <laughs> as we wrap up one of the things that i want this podcast community to experience together is the gathering of soul gardening tools or soul nourishing practices from our guests and I'm asking each of our guests if they could just share one practice or one tool that has made a massive impact on their lives for their flourishing, for their soul health, for their self-care, whatever that is. What is that one thing that you hope to share or encourage other people to look into? Um, I've tried a lot of stuff. Um, I will not lie, <laughs> um, but I I'm a crafty crafty person. In spite of being an accountant, <laughs> normally you don't get those two things the same people. Um, and I I'm one of those people that like to do um, adult coloring. Mm -hmm. um, I have a I have a very creative side. Um, I took art in school up to matric, um, but then ultimately ended up with the figures. Um, so I have um, specific, 
I want to call him Orthish, but I don't really know if that's the right word to use. Um, but specific authors whose books I enjoy coloring in. Mm-hmm. And I go into great detail. Like when I'm done, it looks like a painting. Lovely. So that's the thing that I, I like to do to unwind. And what's nice about it is if my kids do come and talk to me, which they do a lot, um, I can put color because I'm not mm-hmm. counting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my thing. A creative I practice. If I can creative practice, I think any type of creativity mm-hmm. waters your soul. Because I speak to so many people and they say to me, I'm not creative. I can't do creative stuff. But I promise you, if you go out there, you will find something that you can do that's creative. I agree. Be it whatever. Yeah. I I have a wonderful Um, friend who told me once, she said, Lauren, there's a big difference between being autistic and having autistic talent and being creative. And she's like, every single like every single person on the planet has a creative gift and has the ability to express themselves creatively. Not everyone is necessarily autistic. And I think that what you just shared, like, perfectly, no. like, summarizes that, that a creative practice or a way to express yourself creatively is a great way to kind of nurture and water your soul. If I can spend a whole day coloring, I'm exhausted by the end of the day. Because you get all that stuff out. I agree. And onto the process. I agree. And, you know, like you say, there's so many different things. So many different things. And and our world is expanding. There's more things coming up every day. Yeah. Like the... So, um, for, for instance, my sister does uh, creative journaling. Mm. I've tried it. It's not for me. But she does it. And she's awesome. Um, my eldest has taken up playing the drum. And it's like, again, it's not for me. Right. But he he loves it. Yeah. You know? So there's something for everybody. Yeah. Find a creative practice and express yourself in a creative way. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, once you've, sorry, once you've started doing that, and you start believing that you can do it, you'll blow your own mind with what you can actually do there. I completely agree with that. Um, I've had this, a similar experience recently um, with one of my creative practices, and it's been such a gift. Uh, taking the risk was a gift. Hanging in there and to persevere was a gift, but then the end result's also a great gift. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like a present to yourself. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Well, Ilanka, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being so generous with your story and the wisdom treasure that you've accumulated on your and your children's journey and being so generous with that wisdom treasure. Uh, I appreciate you. I'm so glad I know you. Um, and I hope that you continue to just do such incredible work. Um in this kind of area. Uh, the world needs a mentor or I guess just a woman who has 
has so much wisdom to share and then shares it so so generously and you're you're a gift to the world you're a gift to south africa um and you've been a gift to my life thank you so much thank you for that i appreciate it <clears throat> have the best day <laughs> <laughs>